Well, once again, as we come to God's word, let's ask God to bless us and teach us. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the scriptures. We thank you for David's experience that we look at this morning. We pray that it might bless us and refresh us, teach us and renew us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Stress is not something that our hectic lives are often without. Many people have so many causes of stress. Some have deadlines to meet, others have students to teach, others have exams to sit, others have families to care for and others have a living to make and to cap it all off, all of us find ourselves having people to deal with. And if none of these are your particular source of stress, then there'll be plenty of others crouching at your door. Unemployment, perhaps, change of house, ill health, tensions in the family, the ongoing pandemic, the list goes on and on. It's little wonder that the mental health issues we see in the world are on the rise. And the fast pace of life means that so many are desperate to find a way out of the whole cycle. As believers, we're not immune from any of this either. And we may add our own list of stresses. The general unsavoury attitudes of the world towards religious people, unsympathetic work colleagues or family members, the lure of the world tempting us to go its way, even the stress of feeling the need to keep on smiling to your Christian friends when inside your heart is breaking. And neither is stress a peculiarly 21st century phenomena, although we seem to have turned it to something of an art form. But the Bible itself is full of examples of people under stress. The question is, how might we go about coping with it, managing it? One comment on stress management says this, and I quote, I'm now going to give you a most important tip. Everyone needs an unconditional listener to unload on. Unfortunately, there is no human being who is an unconditional listener. So this is what I recommend. Talk to your pet. Well, we know that while there may not be any human being who can ever be the unconditional listener we need, there is God. And one person who knew this and proved this in his own experience was King David and what we have in Psalm 86 before us this morning is a model of prayer under stress. And the stress that David is facing isn't that of unruly kids or cantankerous family members. But what is especially instructive about this prayer is that David sees his real need as being an internal adjustment rather than an external change. Not so much the circumstances he faced but responding properly to those circumstances. And it's interesting to note here that David doesn't actually divulge the problem that is the setting for the psalm until the 14th verse. Did you notice that? David in this psalm moves from God to his relationship with God and then finally the problem that prompted him to pray to God last. It's quite remarkable Normally when we're under intense stress, the first thing we do is express to God the problem that we find ourselves in. 
And I think it's a remarkable testimony that David doesn't get to the problem until the very end. And by the very end, the problem is resolved. It's also worthy of note that this is the only psalm of David in what's called the third book of the psalms, that is the psalms numbering 73 to 89. There's a solemn, a somber mood. David feels alone. He feels isolated. He feels under this stress. He's crying out for God's help and salvation, his justice on his behalf. And it will be very apparent to us as we look at this psalm that David is even struggling to get the petitions out of his mouth. It takes at least until halfway through the psalm before he can speak and ask God to do something. Have you been there? You're trying to pray and you can't get the prayer to come out? Well, David is wrestling with all his might to get a prayer to come out in this psalm and it's not until verse 11 that it happens. So if you've ever struggled like that, then David's right there with you in that boat. Now the psalm divides naturally into three parts, with each section shaped by belief in the sovereignty of God. What does the king do when he's desperate? Well, he doesn't go and get a pet, but instead he petitions the king. And as we look at what David does, we find these elements in the psalm. Sometimes David speaks to himself about God. Sometimes David speaks to God about God. And sometimes David speaks to God about himself. All three are present and all three are valid forms of prayer. First of all, in verses 1 to 7, let's note the stress that drove the king to pray. Now, there's nothing like a good dose of stress to propel us into prayer, is there? And in this sense, stress, believe it or not, is a blessing in disguise in that it draws us to the one who is the fount of all goodness and love. I don't know about you, but I find that when things are going along swimmingly, when life seems well-ordered and undisturbed, prayer can often take a back seat, becomes routine, and we come blasé. But when hit by stress, prayer suddenly shifts gear on taking an urgent sense. And that's not wrong. Even in the life of Jesus, that when news about him spread so that the crowds of people came to hear him and were bringing people to be healed by him, Jesus would withdraw into lonely places in order to pray. Stress encourages prayer. But then we encounter a problem because in my experience, at least, there is a sense of shame and even reluctance to come to God in prayer when the going gets tough. Because what tends to hold us back is the feeling that our track record hasn't quite been good enough. Somehow it seems a bit rich to expect God to listen to my prayers now when I'm up against it, when I haven't been praying up until this moment of crisis. So we think God is going to be reluctant to answer us. And he will wait until we've got ourselves sorted out or improved the quality of our praying. But that's not what the psalm tells us happens. That, in fact, is a pagan view of God, whose arm has to be twisted or has to be bribed before he will hear us. 
No, there are only two things which David sees as the basis for coming to God in prayer with the conviction that he will hear us straight away. First is the recognition of our relationship with him. David addresses God as the covenant God who has unreservedly committed himself to his people so that their concerns become his concerns, their stresses, his stresses. Covenant is the language of marriage. I pledge you to take you as my own for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. This is what God promised Israel and David in 2 Samuel 7. And this is what he has promised you and I. This means that God will not be deaf to our cries. Also, David describes himself as a servant who is devoted and who trusts. In short, he's a believer. He has a personal relationship with this covenant God. And then the other part of the coin, secondly, his confidence that God will hear and answer his prayer is grounded in who God is. The type of God he has revealed himself to be as per verse 5. You are forgiving and good, O sovereign Lord, abounding in love to all who call upon you. Now notice that. It points out that anyone who has entered into this relationship with God can pray to him and he will be eager to listen and act because that is God's nature. We may not act towards others always like that, but God is forgiving and good. Well, you may say, he may be forgiving and good. He may lend a sympathetic ear, but that's not enough. When I'm going under, unless God is able to do something, then I might as well talk to my pet. Well, as well as God being all-loving, he must also be all-powerful which is what we find in the second point. As we note, not only the stress that drove the king to prayer, but the perspective that drove the king to praise in verses 8 to 13. In these verses, it's not the circumstances and David that takes centre place, but God. He is the one who fills the whole horizon who provides the perspective which changes David's outlook, which leads him to praise. And there are two things about the sovereign God which David grasps and we must grasp and allow to shape our prayers. The first is that he is the God of universal authority. And the second is that he is the God of personal care. That all things lie within his power with God moving at every twist and turn of human existence and history, is spelled out in verses 8 to 10, where David speaks of a great God who rules the past, present and the future. Quite naturally, when we feel under stress, we act like Peter walking on the water. There is the storm raging around him, the waves threatening to overpower him, And the moment he takes his eyes off Jesus, who is there with him in the storm, and begins to focus on the waves, he starts to sink until he cries out, Master, save me. That is, in an act of desperate faith, he calls out to the one who is sovereign, who speaks, and even the winds and waves obey him. You see, when we're under stress, 
We start to think someone else is in charge and we're busy reacting to other people's agendas. This passage tells us something quite different, that God is in charge. That's why we need to have passages like this open to us and why we need to keep encouraging each other on with this view of reality because no one else is going to. And this is what true prayer always does. It shifts our gaze away from the problems and brings us face to face with the Lord. Our difficulty is that we try to sort things out by ourselves. We know the problem, we keep going back to it, analysing it and going round and round and round it. But like David, we have to admit that the problem is simply too much for us. That we're a little lost to handle it. And only a sovereign God can handle it. Working everything for the good of those who love him. How do we know he can do that? Because of verse 10. He does marvellous deeds. It's a very powerful phrase. Literally, you are a worker of wonders. Or even, you are a worker of wonderful impossibilities. In other words, the characteristic of the one true God is that he is always doing the unexpected and seemingly impossible. He comes up with things that we would never have thought of in millions of years. That's the kind of God he is. My problem, and I suspect yours too, is that when I pray, I think I have to provide the solution. Well, Lord, perhaps if you did this, it would be rather nice, or maybe you might think of doing it this way. But God's freedom cuts through all of that and he will find the best way. That's the Bible's God. Have we cut him down to size? So that instead of being the God of wonderful impossibilities, he's become the God of the boringly predictable, tired and tame. If so, then we need to repent of that and get our thinking in line with the scriptures. On the other hand, he is the God of personal care. And we come to the key verse of the whole psalm in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. This great and powerful God, you see, is intimately concerned with the details of our lives. He's able to show us the right way. He's able to lead us in paths of truth. And the praying person, believer, begins to see that this is more important than solving all the problems. Not that the problems necessarily go away immediately. The arrogant men still attack in verse 14. But rather that God uses the problems to bestow upon us the greatest gift and the greatest answer. An undivided heart. Now, by heart, the Bible doesn't mean our emotions. It refers to the centre of our being, the control centre of our lives, what we're living for, what motivates us, what matters to us. And that is meant to be God. And David is not so much asking that he will be able to make the right moves, but rather that he will form the right habits and so become the right sort of person who will have God uppermost in his thoughts. Only God is big enough and able enough 
to fill all our deepest longings and desires. And what stress often revealed to us is just how divided our hearts really are. Let's go back and look at that phrase in verse 12, Unite my heart. And note that such a request is quite extraordinary. What is David saying? He wants a heart that is not sort of tugged towards the world and loving the things of the world and sort of tugged to God, divided, moving in two different directions. He's praying for a heart that is holy and solely focused upon God, upon his glory, upon his relationship with God, enjoying God, glorifying God forever. He wants a united heart. He wants to be utterly focused and devoted to that one truth, that one thing, and that is the one true God. Unite my heart. Isn't it a beautiful prayer? Because we all know the tug of the world and we all know what our hearts are like. Third, the psalm speaks of the answers that drove the king to persevere in verses 14 to 17. The circumstances may not have changed, but then again, neither had God. And with this renewed vision of the God who is compassionate and gracious, who is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, David David is enabled to persevere and go on, not giving up. He asked for strength and mercy in verse 16, not for a way out of the troubles, but for in grace, but for grace to endure a way through them. But he also asked for something else. Did you see that in verse 17? Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped helped and comforted me. Now, a sign in the Bible is an occurrence which the believer observes and which affirms the reality of God. And David is asking for a sign of God's activity which shows his goodness. Now, let's not misunderstand this. True, Jesus said that a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but that was out of unbelief. Jesus had been giving the Jews sign after sign after sign in the most amazing miracles, but they wanted more. They would not believe. This sign is sought out of faith, a sign of God's goodness. And David knows that when the sign is given, it will take the wind out of the enemy's sails and become a mark of the believer's help and strengthening as he puts his trust in God again. And in many ways, one of the greatest signs of God's goodness is the fact that through stress we are brought to God in prayer. That will always amaze the unbeliever. Instead of giving up on God, as they might expect yelling, why me, we come humbly to God and say, why not? Keeping on believing in the midst of stress is one of the most amazing signs of the goodness of God. But we have an even more reassuring sign than that. For there was another king descended from David, who was a servant, devoted and trusting, poor and needy, 
Now this man gave over the whole of his life to walking in God's truth and teaching his ways, whose heart was never for a single moment divided, who came to do his father's will without flinching. Arrogant and ruthless men attacked him, nailing him to a tree, this son of a maidservant. And so great was God's love toward him that he delivered him from the grave. The tomb could not hold him. And the bursting of the bonds of death, a sign of God's goodness was shown that left all his enemies totally dumbfounded. And this king is Jesus, King David's greatest son. And here's the one who says to his servants, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he is also the one who lovingly bends down his ear to hear us when we call to him under stress or not. So what of it? What do you make of this prayer of the king when he spoke to himself about himself and then spoke to God about himself and then spoke to God about himself? Well, there are four lots of very quick, isn't it great to knows that will now follow. Number one, isn't it great to know that a king found himself in such need and yet found such release? Number two, isn't it great to know that even a king was driven to distraction by stress and had to find relief through prayer? And then when you think about it, number three, isn't it an even greater thing to know that the same God stoops to listen to you and me prattle on and yet he does so with the greatest of attention and compassion? And number four, isn't it great to know that we can pray anywhere, anytime and about anything and never ever find that our God, David's God, will turn his children away. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be encouraged. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bring thanks to you for you're the great God, the God of great power, the God of great compassion. Thank you that we have one who stands before your throne to whom we may call. We don't need to talk to our pets. We can talk to you, our great King, and sovereign. So encourage us, Lord. We are under stress. We deal with stress every day. Please help us to voice our concerns to you as we talk to ourselves about you, as we talk to you about yourself, and as we talk to you about ourselves. Help us to know the peace that passes all understanding that comes through prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.